Okay, hello. Welcome to episode 234 of Sack King's Therapy. Uh, we're coming to you a day later after the game uh, the Kings played against the Detroit Pistons, where they win. I have the score up. It is 137 to 129. Me and Fong were there live. And would you say it was a good game? Oh, it was it was wonderful. <laughs> well, uh, now that you mention it, I think I I put the hype um, well too ahead of myself. But uh, uh, in terms of the game, it was a little sloppy in my opinion uh, in the beginning. But I mean, the atmosphere kind of made it up because that's probably the loudest I've heard the crowd in since probably Arco. And seriously, like I've watched the TV broadcast does not do it justice it was way loud it was deafening at certain points like granted we had a kid behind us that screamed very loudly no love it i love it but i i felt like i was going deaf at one point it was that loud crazy crazy good atmosphere incredible like this is what happens when a team just wins and the kings now have won six straight apparently the first time since 2004 2005 we'll talk about that a little bit later but we'll quickly go through the game just you know, general notes, because guess what? We didn't take notes during the game because we were busy watching the game. And so my my observations, fast-paced game, little defense being played for much of the game, and honestly, not very much up until, like, the very end by the Kings. Um, both sides were, were pretty bad. And, yeah, it was – I had said to I had said to you, Vaughn, that basically first first team to get to 140 wins the game. Now it was three points off, but that's basically what happened. Yeah, pretty much basically because it seemed like Detroit, they didn't really had that much left uh, towards the end. I mean, the Kings, like with their, you know, fast-paced offense really secured it for us. Yeah. And basically this is a good, this is a good sign for the Kings because I guarantee you last year, they, they don't win this game because you know, the other team just had it going. The, like, it's not that the Kings didn't play great defense. It wasn't good by any means, but the Pistons were absolutely on fire from three for much of the game. For much of the game, they were like 90%, like 80% from three. Like, I think it was seven of nine. No, no, they were nine of 14 from three in the first half. I actually have it here. While the Kings only shot five for 17 from three. However, it was a close game. Because the Kings shot a lot of free throws for uh um so ultimately they ended up so in the third quarter with 218 left, the Kings had taken 28 free throws. I didn't write down what they made, but it they, they didn't really miss from the free throw line. But the Pistons at that point, at 218 in the third, had only eight free throws. So that's how they were keeping it in keep were keeping themselves in the game, even though there was a huge disparity, like shoot from uh that the percentages from three. <laughs> Yeah, for some reason, I swore I thought the uh, Pistons drew a lot more fouls um, than us and were in the bonus early on. But, yeah, they never reached the bonus at times. So, I mean, more free throws for us. Maybe it's because we'll get to him later. Alec Burks uh, took eight free throws. Mm. None of them deserved, I feel. But, you, you know. Okay, so it gets to a very raucous uh, fourth quarter. You know, the, the building is loud. They're trying to rally the team back. Malik Monk sparks the Kings with, you know, a nice and one layup. 
And because he had gotten a technical beforehand, he he gets a second technical and he's out of the game. But not before he at sparks, again, sparks the crowd, sparks the team, and they go on this run to basically finish the game. Um, the Pistons had four turnovers, I believe, just in the fourth that led to 10 points. And that was basically the game. But what I want to quickly talk about the Malik Tech. Did you think it was deserved? Uh, the first one, I had no idea, like, how he got it, to be honest. Uh, the second one, I mean, I kind of see how the rest were thinking, but if we're going to move back a little further uh, earlier in the game, there was a time where, like, Marvin was yelling uh, at the, whatchamacallit, refs or whoever, uh, when he, he didn't foul out, but he got, like, a, I guess. It, it was his fifth. Yeah, it was his fifth foul. He thought it was a bad foul. Just him, Cade, and pretty much some of the bench members, uh, whatchamacallit, start yelling towards the core. And you know what? No tech at all. And for Malik, it was just slight shove. Didn't look intentional, to be honest. I don't think it was intentional. It wasn't. It was more than a shove. He straight up bumped Killian Hayes on the shoulder. It it's it was pretty legit. First technical foul I thought wasn't deserved. He was just kind of freaking out. Maybe he said something uh, bad to to the ref, and the ref didn't like it. Um, but yeah, the second one was definitely deserved. The Marvin one. Here, so here's my theory. There's no way to prove it, but I think the refs knew they made a bad call and just didn't want to reverse it. Because mm. Marvin was, ta- he was talking a lot and he was, he was gesturing. And, you know, w- we also saw, a, a what's it called? I didn't actually see him in person. I didn't, actually didn't know where he sat, but Marvin senior, Marvin's dad was on the bench calling for a review being, you know, a little bit rowdy. You know, he didn't no no text whatsoever. But again, I think it's because the refs knew they made a bad call and, you know, and the refs like Mark Davis, pretty infamous for being a pretty bad ref i have heard like chris verdon really like he makes fun of mark davis a lot because mark davis will every game will call something that you never heard of in a grizzlies game apparently and also i don't know if you remember the play the andrew wiggins dunk on luca yeah Uh, remember that was called an offensive foul and that call was made by you guessed it mark davis and it has and it, it will go down in history as one of the worst calls of all time uh, yeah, <laughs> if I kind of remember correctly, for, right after um, Marvin's uh, fifth foul, I think they gave like a what was it a travel on Herder for a free, uh, on the three point line, I believe. I think that would happen just straight right after, and it was a turnover on to the other side. Yeah, I mean there is a new emphasis on those kinds of plays. Now it, it's impossible for me, for, you know, us to really be able to catch those. That's why it's always frustrating when a, when a ref misses a call It's like you have eyes that can spot those things and you can't spot the obvious, but it was like, they're calling that tightly. I don't know. It is what it is. Every single player does it. I don't feel it's called. If they're going to call every single one of them, like we wouldn't have a game, but like, it does feel, it does feel ridiculous sometimes when they do call like little teeny bit things. Mm, oh yeah um so after the ejection uh the kings again finally kind of turned it on as they slowly kind of crept back into the game with just 
again, the turnovers killed the Pistons. Again, four turnovers, 10 points, and a game that was very tight down the stretch. So, yeah, they capitalized off those turnovers. There was an, a monster uh, De'Aaron Fox dunk off of Kevin Herter's steal. You know, he turned Jaden Ivey around and threw down a tomahawk. And then a few plays later, um, Harrison Barnes gets a pass, I believe was Kevin Herter off an offensive rebound for a for, you know, a power, not a powerful dunk, but it was an emphatic dunk to, again, spark the crowd. And Kevin Herter, um, up one, scores basically the dagger from the corner from three to basically end the game. And the Kings were ultimately able to get, you know, just a few crucial stops. And the game was over at that point. Yeah, pretty much. Like, like I said, Detroit, I, I can't remember much from them during those, like, uh, possessions uh, where we kind of had a run so I mean props on the Kings like <laughs> we we can't say that what nowadays I don't know how to explain it it's like nowadays we're worried about the second half now I'm pretty excited for the second half you know it, it's a weird thing because like I'm actually a little bit more worried when they go up or when they're up uh, at um, what's it called to begin the second half because that means they've they felt like they've done their job. They can relax a little bit. And ultimately, it usually ends badly because the other team makes an adjustment. They get more physical or, you know, um, the Kings' offense just doesn't run as smoothly. And guess what? The other team kind of takes over. But instead, nowadays, when, they, when they're down at halftime, I am almost, I can almost say confidently, they're going to make an adjustment and they're going to turn the game around. Now, while the, it wasn't a huge lead, I, I think it was like a two or three point lead, or it was like a few, only like one or two possessions uh, going into the going into the second half. And you know, the Kings came back, kind of made an adjustment, and they kind of you know stayed in the game. And yeah, you're right. Like the Kings, they're they're not a team you're gonna beat easily. I'll just say, and like they always find a way to creep back into games nowadays. Yeah, which is pretty nice. Uh, I have some, so um, just, just to kind of talk about Detroit a little bit. So Detroit was without Cade, was without Sadiq Bay, and mm-hmm. Beef Stew. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we have to talk about this. You gave up 129 points to, the, to coming into this game, the 29th offense in the league at 108.2 points. Because of this one game, because they scored 126, according to NBA.com, they went from 29 to 23. Or wow. no, this is from ESPN. This is from ESPN. It's oh. just like, it's just uh, what's called points per game. So yes, yeah. they went from the 29th um, most points scored per game to the 23rd. Yeah, that's a pretty drastic job. Wow, geez. What's the, what do you want to call it? Next highest? Uh, I don't, I, 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 didn't, I didn't bother to check. Oh. I can pull it up. It's not important, but yeah. the, it's the idea of you let one of the worst offensive teams absolutely get off. And we have to talk about why. Again, they were like, I don't think this will happen very often, but Detroit got really, really hot from three. And, you know, the, the players talked about it. We'll, we'll talk about the quotes later, but they basically said, yeah, they let the guys get comfortable early and it just came back to haunt them throughout the game. Now, of course, they locked up at the end of the game, but like the fact that they let them get off in the first place made it a much more difficult game for the Kings to handle. And you had to rely on late game heroics from Kevin Herter and De'Aaron Fox. Now it's a great thing to see De'Aaron Fox come through time and time again, 
it's great to see Kevin Herter get able to turn it back on. Like, even though he didn't shoot that well from three this this game, he hit it when it mattered. But it, it is gonna become a it is becoming a problem. And you know, the, the good thing is Mike Brown knows it and he's gonna drill it into his team. Now it's on the team to respond. Mm, oh yeah. Like I feel like we have enough players where they're kind of like they could get hot, not at will, but how I say it. Somebody will get hot. Someone, yeah, eventually, hopefully. <laughs> now, if the whole team, you know, kind of gets depleted towards the end, I mean, that's where we get worried. Now, again, I just I just mentioned, like, Cade, Sadiq, and Beef Stew. That's arguably three up out of their five best players. They weren't playing. Mm-hmm. And you let the Detroit Pistons score 129, 129 on you. It, that's not good, like, to say the least. But again, the Kings this year, especially, just have the firepower to kind of make up for game, make up for these bad defensive games. But again, this was Detroit, again, without three out of their five best players. And you just can't let this happen. And yeah, the Kings need, need to fix this. Um, uh, now let, let's talk a little bit about the players on the other team. Like um, we, we saw Jay Ivey. Jay Ivey is nice. He's insane quickness, got, all, got like really good ups. He didn't miss from three this game, which I don't think that's a sustainable thing. But, like, insane speed, insane athleticism, good handle, and also good feel and touch around the rim. Like, you know, I think the Ivy and Keegan debate won't be settled for a while. But, like, I'll just say, like, he he's way better than I thought he, he was g- going to be coming into the league. Mm, yeah, I mean, I haven't watched his other games, but look at him. Like, he has a lot of... um potential for sure like even though this is like his first year like he's already shown quite enough <laughs> in my opinion to uh become something great in the future like he's he's a, not only is he able to like absolutely just blow by guys with this insane just first step and like athletic ability but he he can initiate offense decently well like you know decent handle makes the pocket pass like he's good and again, like with just some of these rookies, it's incredible just how good they are just coming into the league at like 19, 20 years old. And also, this is becoming kind of a thing. Guys that maybe not shoot all that well in college, all of a sudden come into the league shooting well. Like Keegan, I think shot 39% from three, but I thought he was a volume guy more than anything. He's got shooting touch. Jay Nivey's kind of got the same thing. He's got shooting touch. Now, I don't think he's a four or four guy like on a consistent basis, but... Again, like he, that was one of the big things uh, coming into the league for me, anyway. That with, where I didn't really like him. Like, he's not going to be able to space the floor. He's a high usage guy. It's going to be hard for him to fit into like an offense. But no, nope, he, he's just he's just kind of fit right in, and he's he's going to be really good. Oh yeah, it'll be. I mean, like you said, I kind of wish we saw the other three guys in this team and see how all the pieces fit together and. To be honest, it it might not look too good if we kind of uh, let them play this way like we did. But, I mean, it'd be pretty interesting for sure. Uh, Jalen Duran, like, he – I hate to – like, not not to trash on the guy we'll we'll talk about later, but why isn't he starting? (laughs) Because he was damn good this game. Like, So there was a benefit of him coming off the bench because he would play against the small ball lineup. Uh, of the Kings with Chavezi Metsu at center. Now, Jalen Duran, I believe, is listed at 6'10", 6'11", but he's a big dude. And, you know, Mezzi's maybe 6'9", 
And like, he was just, he was just bigger than mostly everyone when he was out there. He had five offensive rebounds this game. And it was just all coming off of misses where, you know, he would just clear guys out and just almost easily just grab the ball and then just dunk it back in. Like he was a force on the offensive boards. And he's 19 years old. I I don't believe it. That is a 25-year-old grown-ass man right there. (laughs) Yeah, literally, for some reason, I I feel like every single possession was just a second chance points for him. Literally, like like I said, five offensive rebounds. If pretty much, I felt like he scored a uh, you know ten of his points just from those five rebounds. Yeah, and then and then he's just a, he plays his role on offense as the role man, and he just you know will just happen to be in spots to like get a dunk or again get a rebound or just be in position to play. He's a bit raw. He's still got like to work on his finishing a little bit. He got a little too cute on some finishes. Hmm. But like he he is a beast, and once this team kind of figures it out, they got a lot of young talent that's just ready to just take over. Mm-hmm. Um, just quickly about Alec Burks, he was once a king, by the way, didn't really do much, but he's kind of refound his niche as kind of just this tall point guard who's just you know crafty and just really really wily, and is is an absolute A class grifter for fouls flops uh, uh, like all over the place on jump shots he's just a level below the smarts and lowries of the world in terms of grifting for fouls yeah and i i'm pretty sure he's a king's killer for sure uh if i remember correctly from previous seasons yeah he he drew two shooting fouls at the three-point line that were absolute bullshit there was one where he he basically kevin herter fouled his elbow with with his face was basically how <laughs> yeah. I would describe it. His he he just threw his elbow like up at Kevin Herter's nose, and somehow it was a foul on Kevin Herter. It was he he is an A class grifter, and he was very annoying to watch. Like every single free throw I felt he, that that he got were at was absolute garbage, and that kind of speaks a little bit to how the refs were. They were bad for both sides, but man, some of the fouls they called on the Kings were absolute garbage. Yeah, it's too bad we can't have multiple challenges because uh, we definitely be challenging a few of those calls from him. All right, let's talk about the main player that we went to see in the Pistons. Now, of course, there were there was K, there was Beef Stew, there was Sadiq Bay, but he's a former King, he's the former o- number number two overall pick, and he is the guy we took over Luka Doncic. It's Marvin Bagley. He came back to the Golden One Center. And was pretty much universally booed. I was surprised the reaction to him. Were you? Oh, yeah. I was about to like start clapping. You know, it's like out of respect, you know, for, you know, the little things he's done with the Kings organization. But <laughs> after the second clap, I was like, oh, <laughs> and I, I'm <laughs> it's it's it was a loud boo for sure. <laughs> Not, I, I, sh- I would be mean and just ask, what did he do? But uh, let's not do that. But like he, I, like I, I'm in the boat, I guess, as you, although I did clap for him. So I, I get that. I get that brownie point. But I, you know what? I just thought his entire tenure here was just a bit unfortunate. It's It wasn't the, the way that it went. It's not his fault. It's not the Kings' fault. Because unfortunately, the the part that the issue that derailed the Kings or his relationship with the Kings was injuries. He just was never fully healthy for a long stretch of time. 
The only time he was really healthy was his rookie year where he played, what, 62 games? And mm-hmm. unfortunately, that's the most he played for the Kings because every time, like, he would just get randomly injured and it would halt his progress. It would disrupt It would disrupt his role. Like, coming into Luke Walton's year, apparently the, the offense was going to be built around him and he gets injured in the first game, comes back after around 20 games, and gets injured again. So he never really got a chance to get going. He comes back. Rashawn Holmes basically beats him out for the five on the team. Like, and then it gets what he gets injured again and then demands a trade. It was an ugly, it was a really unfortunate end to his King's career. And I don't think it was, it's really fair for him to be booed. But the, I think the reason why he gets booed is because of his dad. And I just think like it's, it's an open ended question. Like, did, should he, should he have been able to handle the situation with his dad better? Mm. or specifically could he have could he for sure but you know it's I, I guess you could say it's family reasons in my opinion but he could have been a little more I guess professional uh I'm talking about his dad but you know how would I say it, it it's kind of the I guess the ball family type aspect of uh you know how close uh, your uh, his father is to his son look De'Aaron did a base he had a perfect example in front of him and like De'Aaron handled the situation with his dad perfectly this, you know his dad had said something kind of slanderous on on uh no it was mm-hmm. when they drafted Davion and I think he said something along the lines of why why the Kings drafted a point guard and De'Aaron just addressed it he basically just said my dad, my thoughts, my dad's thoughts are my dad's thoughts. It has nothing to do with me. He's just a fan. Relax. Don't worry about him. That's all you had to say. And it was handled. No one ever talked about it ever again. Hell, do you do you remember it? Probably not. Because nope. you're not on social media. <laughs> yeah. Like no one ever remembered it. What happened when when it when it came out that um I think it was during the bubble year that oh yeah, Marvin wasn't playing the fourth quarter. And Marvin's dad on on uh, on Twitter, I think, called Luke Walton an idiot. What did Marvin do the next game? He went to the podium. He well, it was Zoom at that point, and just said, "I'm not going to answer any questions about that." So that that is unfortunately an A class, an A class of uh, or A class example of how not to handle it, which is just ignore it and not ad- address it. Now he needed, he basically just needed to make a statement and just do something along the lines of what De'Aaron did. Just say, look, his thought, he has his own thoughts. They're not, I don't condone his, his words. I don't condone his actions. And I am my own man. Marvin just simply needed to kind of quiet the noise and just honestly speak out for himself because with him saying nothing, you, he's guilty by association. And he probably was, he probably was thinking like, Oh yeah, Luke Wallen's an idiot for not playing me in the fourth quarter. I deserve those minutes. Now we can get into a whole other argument. It's like, did he deserve those minutes? Eh. Mm. But the fact is, you need you you needed to make a statement if you're gonna like try and just calm down the the chatter around the fan base about you know like what are your thoughts? Like right now, you're not saying anything, so you are guilty by association with your dad, with the bullshit that he puts out there and. Yeah, the the I mean, look, I, look, we wish the best for the kid, but it's just 
it's just unfortunate that you know Satow, you know, like is booing him. Like I just, I just did, honestly, I didn't love how how Sacramento treated him. Like I, I has been saying, like Sacramento fans treat you know their players with respect. They're they're grateful for everything that all the players do. But unfortunately, this is not one of those cases because it was just so ugly. Yeah, and I remember uh, what you might call it. I believe it was you that mentioned that uh, not Albert Burks, but when Corey Joseph checked in for the first time, we heard a few claps. I mean, some people remember the, the Corey Joseph times. And, you know, in my opinion, I thought maybe it was because of Twitter. Uh, uh, but um, I thought a lot of people during the Corey Joseph times of the Sacramento Kings were very low on him. Yeah, and unfortunately, like, we'll stay on Marvin for a, a bit, but, like, I remember saying, I have always said, Twitter's not real life. Unfortunately, that's bled into real life now. The, I think the actual fan base doesn't like him, and he's going to get booed for a long time. Now, granted, he's not coming back till next year, unless he gets traded somehow to another team and they come mm-hmm. back. But, like, he's going to be booed for a while, and it's, again, it's kind of seeped into real life. The case with Corey Joseph, I think it's a, I think it's a very heavy Twitter thing. And just, again, he was the only guy trying to play defense for us, for a team, for an entire team that had no interest in it. He played with Buddy Heal. He played with De'Aaron Fox, who didn't play defense. Tyrese Halliburton, great, great steals guy, not a good defender. Like Corey tried and I thought he was a steady presence, but it just felt like the entire fan base didn't appreciate the good that he did and only focused on his, uh, focused on his negatives and mm-hmm. look every time Corey Joseph comes back and torches the Kings and he did torch him for a bit until he went to the bench like I'm happy for him because you know it's a middle finger to those fans to the people who keep shitting on him and I thought he was fine when he during his time here it mm-hmm. is my point and glad that we at least clap for Corey sad for Marvin though now here's another question what happens if for some reason, you know, Vlade comes out and, you know, in front of court and does something, would the fans be booing or would they be cheering because of the time he has done for Sacramento in the early 2000s? I think you cheer just because like, I mean, it's the GM, like some people don't even know that he was, I mean, that he was the one who like ultimately called the shot. I mean, they probably do, but like, they don't associate him probably heavily with that with that thing. Maybe like only us Twitter geeks for the most part, um, like follow that kind of stuff. But ultimately, he has the 2002 backing. He was he like legitimately does want good for this organization, and he hasn't shitted on the city, and he hasn't shitted on the organization. Now, granted, I don't think Marvin has really done it either. But again, the guilty by association with how how his dad acted. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Well, after all that, let's talk about what he actually did on the court. Uh, how do you think he played <laughs> after all that? Uh, to be honest, probably the first half was pretty forgettable for him. Like, <laughs> just a lot of fouls, I remember. But, I mean, he kind of had some small, short-lived uh, moments in the second half um, where he got dunk and, you know, a layup, a turnaround shot, and... I'm surprised he actually had five for five free throws. So that's a, that's something, I guess. I, like it did not start out well for him. The first possession they go to him in the post and he bricks a shot. Like it was not good for him the first half. 
And then like he had to guard some bonus on the other end who ju- he's just not strong enough for. for. And yeah, he, he kind of turned it up a little bit in the second half, kind of found his offense a little bit, made five free throws for a guy that for the most part isn't a good free throw shooter, like from what I remember. So credit to him. He kind of played through it. Again, he, he's, we saw the issues with him, just not a good defender, unfortunately. I don't know if he'll ever get there. And yeah, he also did get like the short end of some pretty bad calls. Like his fifth foul was not on him. It was like on the, I forgot who it was. It might've been Livers or someone else, but it, the foul was not on him. And, you know, a bit of a, bit of a quiet night from him. I'll just say, despite all, all the attention, you know, paid attention to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would you have thought he would have been a King's killer for us? No, I never thought so. Because he doesn't, <laughs> he's not one of those guys. The, what kills the Kings? is a guy that played just simply just plays his role. Like Jalen Duran, perfect example. He didn't try to force anything. He's he, You don't have to feed him the ball in the post and let him go to work. That's how Marvin kind of gets going is like he goes to work. Like at the offense stops, he posts up, he shoots a jump shot or something like that. Jalen Duran is all about just getting the role, getting offensive rebounds, getting the ball on the roll, and just, you know, cutting every now and then for, you know, letting his teammates create for him. Marvin likes to create for himself. And I never, I never thought that was going to be a problem because like, you know, not to, not to be mean to him. He's not good enough to really create for himself. And he's not good enough for you to actually give him the ball to, to, you know, go to work if you want to win. So no, I never thought he was going to be a Kings killer. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. All right. So after this game, uh, let's talk a little about the six game winning streak. This is the, First uh, six-game winning streak since 0405. The first four and home home four and O home stand since 2009. Apparently, the first time we've gone six and O at home since 2002. It was like between I think February to March of 2020. So during the bubble year. Oh no, no, it was the year right before the bubble, or like during the bubble. I mean, uh, that makes any sense. March yeah. of 2020. Okay. Yeah, that, that makes sense. <laughs> okay. And yeah, during during the six game uh, winning streak, ESPN has the Kings' offense at number one at one twenty one point four. However, the defense is at twenty eight, which is uh, yeah one one seventeen point five. NBA dot com has us at number two on offense and number twenty seven on defense. However, in the last six games, number one in offense. Uh, 128.9 is six points above uh boston by the way who's number two defense a little better at 26 since the winning streak uh basketball reference has at number three and number 26 on defense so yeah you, you kind of get the point very good offense pretty pretty garbage off defense and i'm gonna say the same excuse it's still early i feel like the defense will improve slightly not like drastically uh kind of like how you know the Detroit Pistons were in terms of uh their points per game but um I guess we'll have to see because we, the kind of switches and um I guess help uh that uh Kings uh what the help defenders kind of need to look out for is the cuts really because it seems like we get people inside the basket very easily i think our perimeter defense is pretty much fine for the most part the issue actually i think the perimeter defense is pretty mad to say the least just because the reason why those cuts are there 
is because the role man has or the the screen the guy guarding the screen has to help and then there's an opening to the role man mm-hmm. like it, it, they're gonna have to do better at like shutting off those screens or getting a help defender there either earlier or somehow getting everyone to rotate on time to the open shooter that's kind of what that's kind of what kills the Kings is that true penetration. They can't stop anybody on the perimeter except for certain stretches. But yeah, giving up that dribble penetration, forcing the help on the roll, man. And that's kind of how they're often or how the Detroit basically abused them. Like there, there was always an opening to get it to the roll, man, throw a bounce pass or something. And that's how they collapsed the defense. And that's how everyone got hot. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's kind of just it. Again, I, I agree with you. Like it's going to take a little bit more time for the defense in terms of just getting the rotations down, getting the communication down, getting the schemes more familiar in their heads. And it will pick up now how much it picks up. I don't know, but, but the offense should at least maintain around top 10, I hope. And you hope that like defense gets better and, you know, in turn, ultimately they become a playoff team. Yeah, maybe. And we shall see. Let's talk about the Kings now. Okay. So where should we even start? Let, let, let's let's just kind of go in order of the box score. So Sabonis, four of five from the field. So only five field goals. I didn't even realize I only shot five times. 15 points, uh, six for eight from the line. Now, of course, five shots. You probably want more from him, but he still imposes will on the court. Like you felt him like when he was out there. And even though he was in foul trouble, like he still again managed to impose his will and again you felt it when he wasn't on the floor because that's when Jalen Durant started going off and yeah his presence like 13 rebounds seven assists he's the he's the hub of the offense and you know when he's not on the floor like the other team like just ends up kind of they they end up a lot of times kind of bullying the small ball lineup and there's nothing on Metu or any anybody else that's playing but he, he just has such a humongous effect on the game Oh yeah, definitely. Like especially the connection with uh, Herder still with um, what you call his screening. I mean, it's easy shots for Herder. Um, there was some times with Fox uh, that I saw some connections with too, but you know, <laughs> his hands uh, can't uh, what you call it grip the ball well. So yeah, it, it doesn't been... happen often. I'll just it say it, no. it just happens to be one of those games where I think in the end of the second quarter, he's I think he dropped like two passes in a row. And, it, and like he's known for having really, really sticky hands. It's just one of those days where he just couldn't catch the ball. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And yeah, he got into really bad foul trouble. And it's another one of those cases where he fouled someone with his face. He fouled someone like with his arm, even though the other guy initiated. It was a it was a rough game, but he was he able to he was able to stay on the floor and when it mattered. And, you know, honestly, Good, good game from Sabonis, despite the box score kind of saying otherwise. Hey, he was the one that lit the beam. <laughs> he was the one that lit the beam. Harrison Barnes. I, again, it's so weird with him nowadays that, like, I don't know what to expect from him. He had a really rough, like, start to the season. And, it, it like, let's be honest, it, it corroded a lot of our trust in him. But he's really bounced back now. 27 points and 9 rebounds. And also 3 assists. Like, he and this is on 11 shots just one of those games where he was despite not feel it didn't feel like he scored that many points but again somehow ended with 27 points on 11 shots 11 free throws 
Yeah, definitely the free throws surprised me because it seemed like he was trying to draw a lot of fouls throughout the game. Um, and, I mean, in terms of his field goal, I mean, he if he makes it, he makes it. <laughs> That's a great thing. But uh, One of these days, he's got to make one of those <clears throat> and ones. Like, he draws those fouls, but he never gets the and one. It's just, yeah. He, one of these days. <laughs> but, yeah, we'll see how uh, his consistency goes throughout the rest of the season because – yeah, it didn't look good at in uh, the beginning for sure. Uh, Keegan Murray had a pretty iffy game, one for six from three, four for ten. He contributed when he needed to. Like, there's a lot of other stuff that he does well. Same thing with same thing with Barnes. Really good on defense, and like Keegan, while he does get blown by sometimes, I think his defense overall is really good. Like, he's still a rookie; he's still got to learn, but he's got length. He's he's a smart player, and again, the the sign of a good defender is when guys just don't bother attacking you a lot of the time mm-hmm. yeah i saw that he tried driving and uh posting some guys but you know it's a work in progress for that kind of end for him but we'll see how it goes it's not part of his game and that was the thing that like you know a lot of people that's why a lot of people criticize the kings he ha- doesn't have the handle doesn't have the like the first step doesn't have the quickness to be a star at for the, for a number four pick Granted, if he was a number five pick, everyone would be cheering that. But <laughs> like, is he? He's. I don't know if he ever will be, but he's got a lot of the intangibles, just the field of knowing just where to be. Like, I haven't watched a lot of film on yet, but like Jabari Smith, I've heard has no feel for the game. Just doesn't know what spot to be in, and just kind of looks lost out there. But Keegan knows where to be. Like, he just has a good feel for the spacing and will find ways to contribute, even though, like, yeah, not the not the best stat line, 13 points, but it was 13 points where, like, none, there was, I was just like, you know what, that's fine. He's doing mm-hmm. it in the flow. You just hope he makes one or two more threes. And th- yeah. this just wasn't his game. Yeah, I mean, all his shots felt very genuine. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, you know, the ball don't lie. It Sometimes it makes it in, sometimes it doesn't. Yep, they call it a make or miss league. Uh, De'Aaron Fox, another just kind of superstarish game. Eleven for eighteen. He's been really consistent from there, and for much of the game, the best three point shooter for the Kings because mm-hmm. no one was making threes this game. Like Kevin Herter made four, but he was four for eleven, and he didn't start making them until late. Legitimately, only the guy that I trusted to make a three, and it was a rough shooting game for the Kings. Like was Fox and. He, and you know, like he closes at the end, like he, he is the engine that ultimately drives the Kings and will be kind of the key to the Kings making any, doing anything. He's showing up. And again, just, he's got, he's making a great all-star bid. And with his like performance, he won player of the week. We'll get into that later. He's taking the next step and yeah, he's completely recovered from last year. Oh yeah. And definitely from each and every quarter. He was very consistent. Like he, I want to say he scored twenty-two points by the first half. I think I it was less. It might have been less than that because I, I. It feels like he scored a lot in the fourth. Is why. Hmm, maybe I was uh, thinking about it during the third, but yeah, I felt like he was the more Mister Reliable. I want to steal the name from Harrison Barnes, but he felt like the Mister Reliable of this game throughout each and every quarter. And like not this is not to be understated. He's shooting, he shot nine for nine from the free throw line. And yeah, it seems like that part of his game has just kind of solved itself. Like he's shooting 84 
percent from the line for the season. And you know, la- you know, you know, the last basically his entire career, like he basically left points on on the board because he couldn't make free throws. But they even when Malik got injured, the Pistons, you know, could pick whoever they wanted to shoot free throws. Mm. And they picked De'Aaron and he just nailed it. Like the confidence is there and it just cannot be understated how important just like, you know, him being able to cash in at the free throw line has added another much needed dimension to his game. Like his mid range is money. His three point is deadly. Now no one can stop him from getting to the basket. And now you can't even put on the line anymore. Now I kind of wonder, would he be eligible to be on the run for uh what you call it? most improved no just because like he's already a 25 point game score like mm. already there's no way although i would make an argument he should because getting to like what what is he at now let's see he is at he's at 25.4 so he yeah. literally didn't move well granted he's better for better than last year but like let's just say if he ends the year scoring 28 points I would make the argument making the jump from 25 to 28 is more impressive than say going from 10 to 20. Mm. Even though it's even though it's only a three point difference, but it's hard to take that extra step. Like I know a lot of people were out were pretty outraged that John Morant won last year, even though John Morant was amazing the year before. But like Desmond Bain, I don't know how many what points he went to went from to like 20 points, but whatever he went from to where he got last year, John Moran went from around 20 to 29, 28. That's hard to do. So maybe, but they're, they're not going to make that case. He's Hmm. not going to be on that battle. Yeah. I mean, that's too bad. (laughs) Okay. Let's move to Kevin Herter. Ended, ended with a 10 for 19 from the field. Like he had some really nice layups, like layups. I don't really expect with just like really good, body control and just angles like i remember when he played against the kings last year like he when he got to the basket it didn't matter what angle he was at he would somehow finish the shot it was one of the weirdest like he's not exactly athletic he's not exactly a high flyer by any means but he finds a way to finish it's so it's hard to describe and this was one of those games you know he didn't shoot he didn't shoot great from three for most of the game he ended four for 11 which is still really good but again, his finishing and just around the rim this this game was equally as impressive to me. Mm-hmm. Definitely kind of like that kind of jack-of-all-trades kind of player. Uh, he kind of contributed pretty much on both ends, really, and, you know, netted five assists, five rebounds. And yeah, it does not you can't understate, like, how big, like, he is to the offense. Like, even when he's not scoring, he got five assists this game. Like that's big in just in terms of just getting the ball moving. And that's why him and Malik, like it, this is the improved depth of the of the team, where you just have guys that move the ball really well. Like he, like they have multiple skills, is what I'm trying to say. Like Malik can be off from the field, but he can still play make because he's a threat and he can like make that nice bounce pass. Like he can be a playmaker. Like there are guys that can contribute multiple ways, and Kevin Herter is a big part of that. Mm, oh yeah, for sure. Let, let me do a quick quiz with you. So I looked this up. Do you, do, are you familiar with the PER stat? Not really. Uh, PER is kind, it's basically the equivalent of what the Call of Duty score per minute is. I know that's a weird comparison. Does that make sense? Wait, projected points? No, it's like your production. Like, you, you, 
again, Call of Duty. Remember when back in the day you had a score per minute um, type stat? Yeah, yeah. Now, by by no means is that the end all be all, but it's a good indicator for how good a player is for the most part. Like mm-hmm. when they have a high score per minute. So that's basically the e- kind of the equi- the NBA equivalent of the score per minute. So the, so there's three players on the top 100 for PER. Can, mm. can you so uh, here I'll, I'll just get I'll just give it to you. Um, uh, I think Fox is like top 10. And then Sabonis is, I think, at the top 20, right below uh, Tyrese Halliburton. There is a third guy on the top 50 on the Kings. Can you guess who that is? Is it Herder? It is not Herder. He's actually, I think he's like just below 100. He's like 101 or something. Monk? No. No? He's actually, so this player is actually 31st. Murray? No. Terrence Davis. Terrence Davis, really? With a 21.55 PER. To give you some comparison, uh, Sabonis is at 23.84. Tyrese is at 24.04. And uh, De'Aaron is at 26.59. Now, Terrence Davis only played three minutes, but he made a big three to end the third. And just one of those kind of spark plugs. And he's kind of the king's secret weapon in a way. I mean, like I said, we, we have a lot of players. Uh, I want to say a very deep bench besides, you know, having a big in our uh, lineup that can, yeah, score pretty much almost at will at times. And it's just one of those things where I think maybe the Nets game kind of skewed this a little bit because, like, that was an incredible game. Hmm. But, like, it, it's it does kind of, like, it does kind of prove my point. He is an agent of chaos. He is out there just producing and doing shit for better or for worse, like a lot of the time. But yeah, Terrence Davis, <laughs> top thirty, well, thirty first in PER in the league, not not like on the Kings or anything, on the league. So yeah, that, I just thought that blew my mind when I looked it up. Did mm, update after this game, maybe? Um, I believe it did. Oh, so he's still thirty first. That's pretty crazy yeah again i don't i don't know like we'll see like i think i think when injuries like hit he's gonna have a bigger role but yeah again he just seems to be able to do stuff and he has an argument for probably more minutes but you know he he was really erratic last game so i get why mike brown didn't play him Mm -hmm. oh yeah uh trey lyles honestly i don't remember what he did he had he had one three so that was that was good but he didn't play he didn't get a lot of minutes metsu again plays his role perfectly just I I don't really have complaints about him. I mean, the only thing was was that he just he, he couldn't handle Duran because Duran is just so is so big and like so much taller than everyone that he kind of abused Metsu a little bit. But I mean, there's nothing really Metsu can do. And Metsu again plays his role perfectly. He really didn't try to do too much. He had a three. He did take a three, and I was fine with it. It was wide open. Um, but again, he's playing within himself, and just I cannot say enough just how impressed I am with Metsu. Yeah, definitely replace. Sorry, excuse me. Repraise role uh, for sure. Uh, Davion Mitchell d- didn't get a lot of minutes, but every time he was on the floor, you felt it because he was down there a lot. Like basically, any time he's guarding someone, that guy's not getting by him. 
they need to they need a screen on him to get him off. That's the only way you can score on him. And he made his presence felt, in my opinion, even though he really didn't do much on the offensive end on the box score. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, did get three assists, so give him credit for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Malik Monk just you know just kind of did his thing uh, to get to get ejected. Just so, again, the refs really kind of I felt affected him. Just bad calls all around. Kept, like they they didn't give Malik any love on a lot of like those defensive fouls and it, it kind of frustrated him and again the like the the second technical was well deserved um but the first one I thought was a bit ridiculous but you know he still did he still did his thing and he did spark the the king the kings in my opinion before he got ejected with that and one layup yeah definitely hopefully we could see him more <laughs> because uh he's been closing out a lot of games but uh, I forgot who closed out uh, for this game uh, in terms of the lineup that replaced Monk. I'm so they had Keegan in for Monk, and mm. then like to close close, they had a they had Mitchell to take a Jaden Ivy. Yeah, that's right. Uh, one last one last little note. So, in terms of like the top PER players, like the top top, so you have like Luka Doncic, Steph Curry, and Nikola Jokic. There's only three guys in the top 10 that have a better true shooting than De'Aaron. Kevin Durant, Nikola Jokic, and Steph Curry. Some pretty good company there. Mm, so he's fourth best? He's fourth best in true shooting and, like, PER. Like, he's 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 number nine right now. He's above John Moran, which is pretty incredible. Oh, interesting. Although John's been injured lately, so maybe that plays a little bit into it. But that's how good um, De'Aaron's been as of late. Oh, yeah. I mean, no complaints there. No complaints at all. Okay. Uh, Just quickly, some quotes uh, just after the game. Mike Brown praised how good the offense was, but was very, very critical of the defense. And rightfully so. You gave up 129 to the Pistons, as I mentioned before, without Cade, without Beef Stew, and without Sadiq, who 1,000% probably wins this game for for the Pistons. So, you know... It, they need to fix the defense. He said the Kings defend well in short stretches at the end of games, but it needs to be a little closer to 48 minutes. As as I mentioned earlier, the, even the players talked about it. They need to defend better earlier so teams don't just go off. And of course, they need to spread it around the game too, but they just they can't be that lax on defense. And uh, and if this wasn't the Pistons, and if this wasn't the if this was just the regular Pistons. You probably lose these kinds of games. You're, don't be doing this shit against the Grizzlies, against the Hawks, and against the Celtics. They are going to blow you out. Oh, yeah. I guess we'll see next game because we're playing against Memphis, right? Uh, to be, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that later. They are without Jaw and Desmond. Yeah. Look, I'll say this. Well, I'll, I'll talk about it later. But um, to talk, uh, Davion also had a quote. He said his heart, when asked about kind of like the defensive mindset of the t- of the team, he says it's hard to change a defensive mindset when you're winning games. Now, that kind of sounds a little bad, but basically he's just saying that this, he did say that this team needs like to have a better defensive mindset. Hmm. Eh, I mean, we'll see because I feel like we have the capability, or we have the, I guess, dot, you could say. It's just you have to execute it. Yeah, so at least they know what the issue is. It'll be up to the players to actually like do something about it. Because like right now, like you can talk about all all you want about just you want the defense to be better. You got to prove it. Mm-hmm. 
by individual defense, I feel like is fine. It's just when knowing to help is where it kind of gets shaky. The issue is screening. Like they're, they're not great at navigating screens. Like Davion, as good as he is on ball, he's not the best at getting around a screen. He's really good, but he, it, it needs to be a little better. But like it, it's a it's an NBA thing. Like mm-hmm. all the rest of the NBA just has a problem. Like the way they don't call moving screens. Like it's hard enough to keep your man in front of you. Now you have a you know a three hundred pound dude screening you all, most likely moving. I don't know what you're actually supposed to do a lot of the time on defense, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And you know we it can't be understated. Like Detroit just got hot. It's just one of those kinds of games. Oh yeah. Uh, Fox also emphasized how, you know, the Kings can't let players get hot early and gain confidence confidence in their shot. So again, they know they got to execute. And Mike Brown, Mike Brown was pissed (laughs) about this game, despite the win. (laughs) As he should. And Fox did say, you know, it's better to learn, learn lessons in a win than it is to learn lessons in a loss. So there you go. Mm. You, You can't argue with that. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Um, okay, so I guess this is still Kings related, but uh, it was announced today Fox uh, won Western Conference Player of the Player of the Week, and in the Eastern Conference, Tyrese Halliburton averaging twenty one and ten. <laughs> I think twenty one and eleven. Uh, I forgot, but yes, he is balling right now, and it's a bit of a. I mean, we're never really gonna we're, we're not gonna stop hearing about this trade. But I mean, would you would you say it's fair to say that both team kind of won the trade? I would say so. Or like, would you, can... or would you say that Indiana won the trade more? <sighs> I want to say that we both won the trade. We got a big that can do stuff on both ends of the floor and can actually like produce offense that we wanted to uh, produce. Yeah. And we can't really have, you know, Tyrese and Fox play together because it's got it's got to come down to either or, which I'm going to hate to, you know, let go of either or. But, I mean, at least we kind of got something back for the price of having Tyrese. Yeah, I mean, like, again, you, you this will have to be, like, looked at years down the line. I, mm-hmm. I am actually in the camp that they could have worked, and I'll, I'll get to why later. It would have taken some time. I think they could have gotten to work. The, de- the defensive part, though, that actually might be tricky. Uh-huh. But, like, Sabotis, just being in the mid post and being able to facilitate the way he does, just, it's... Like it's, I wouldn't say it's like better than Tyrese, but it definitely works a little better, at least like with a t- on a team with De'Aaron. Ultimately, I think they could have they could have worked together, but this this is a seamless fit between uh, Fox and Sabonis, and it has changed the team. Like whether you like to admit it or not, like this, I don't think there was going to be this level of just of offensive offensive efficiency with both of them on the floor. It would have been tricky, and they probably would have gotten something really good, but. I mean, you know what? It, it might have been a trade that needed to happen to unlock both of them. Yeah. And, you know, it's good to see, like, both of like, Kings are happy with what their situation right now. And Indiana's happy with their, with, you know, their situation right now. So, like, why not? Let's just be positive. It is kind of a win-win trade. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it's probably mostly because of our kind of like unselfish uh, playmaking because, 
we're sharing the ball quite a lot and it's not really one player doing all the work i mean of course you have fox that creates his own shots i mean that's a given but it seems like we give each player enough touches to you know make something happen yeah like again I'm, uh, it's so hard to describe, but like just with with Sabonis just working off the high post, it's just it feels like it connects everyone in a way that like it just didn't happen with Tyrese in Sacramento. Now I haven't watched enough Indiana to know, but like it, I don't know, like you know the way he the way he does it, he he has to kind of have the ball and like in a pick and roll, and that can kind of stall your offense a little bit. Although again, the Indiana's really good this year. If I didn't, okay, you're not watching this, you're not looking at the standings, right? No. Take a guess what Indiana is or like what their record is. Let's see. I'm going to assume they played 15 games. So I'm going to uh, say 16. Oh, 16. I'm going to say seven and nine. 10 and six. 10 and six. They're good this year, too. And, oh. I, they, and I don't know if you saw the graphic. They also won three and oh this week. So or last week. So they're they're good, and this blew my mind. But like, if you look at Tyrese's usage and his assist percentage, his assist percentage this year is forty eight percent. To give you how high that is, granted, it's it's the av- it's an average. But the only the only two players with higher average assist percentages are John Stockton and Chris Paul. Chris Paul has multiple years of over 48%, but that's the kind of company that Tyrese is in. And Tyrese is like at uses per uses percentage is only like 20 something percent. Basically meaning whenever he has the ball, there's like a 48% chance he's going to like pass it. And he's not exactly like hogging the ball all the time like a Luca. Like for like to give you a little bit of context, Luca is at let me see. Sorry, I had the stat up. God damn it. Do I still have it? Oh, okay. I don't actually have it with me. But Luka Doncic has like a almost a 40%, uh, almost has a 40% usage rate, but only like 30-something percent assist percentage. Which mm. meaning he he doesn't, he basically doesn't get, he doesn't like pass to his teammates for assists at anywhere near as much as Tyrese does. Uh, is, I see. Which is insane how good Tyrese is this year. Yeah. I'm going to assume that the t- uh, team surrounding Tyrese is uh, doing pretty well as well. I mean... Ben I, Matherin is really good. Mm, Buddy Heald? Buddy Heald's been, been good, although he's already kind of having some having some kind of a little bit of backhanded compliments, like sub- subliminal Com, um, comments basically saying that he wants to get traded to the Lakers, which again, uh, it will never stop being funny that he, they, the Lakers could have had him two years ago. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. But you know what? Good, good on Halliburton. Like he's absolutely balling right now. And I cannot wait for next week when he comes. Well, actually, yeah, about nine days from now for him to come to this Golden One Center. And also, like we mentioned, the Marvin Bagley booing. They didn't even give him a tribute video, which I thought I I was surprised. I thought he was going to get a tribute video. Halliburton is one hundred percent getting a tribute video. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Do you think Buddy gets booed when he comes back? Uh, Especially after seeing that Marvin reaction. He might. I mean, 
in terms of like who gets booed harder, that's hard to say. I, I want to say Marvin gets the cake of uh, game booed the hardest between them, but he's definitely gonna get booed. <laughs> I feel like I feel like theoretically Buddy should get booed more, just because because like the dude the dude at one point shitted on Sacramento. Remember when he didn't get his contract? He he just said no one ever wants to come to Sacramento. And the and this dude was trying like publicly trying to get traded for a while. Now, uh, grant, now granted, like Marvin did too, but it wasn't as long, and I didn't feel it was as inevitable as Buddy was. Mm. And let, let's not forget on the court, like like look, we we really should appreciate him way more than we do. But the fact like he would take bad shots and just you know his defense and just some of his on just some of his on ball antics like you know he was very frustrating when he was here yeah i feel like the people that actually pay attention to the like little things that buddy has um what you call it done bad for us i think those are the type of people that would boo him the hardest but there i feel like there's a decent majority where they appreciate <laughs> what he has done which you know i mean he broke the three point record for us so i mean sure <laughs> um the look it's gonna be so weird like they're gonna cheer tyrese and then boo buddy and yeah. it's gonna be a weird dynamic i'll just say all right yep happy for happy for tyrese happy happy for buddy to a certain degree he's playing well um why do you still want to go to the Lakers at this point? Is my guess because <laughs> honestly, you might be better off in Indiana. It's a better team, <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, okay, uh, let, let's talk about the next game. So, it, so the next road trip is going to be at. Um, let me pull up the schedule real quick. Or do you have the schedule up? Uh, no, I do not. Uh, I'll, I'll pull it up. Okay, so it's Grizzlies tomorrow, and then back, to, and then on Wednesday. So it's a back to back. It's gonna be Atlanta, and then on Friday we're gonna face Boston. Now I was hoping that was for some, let's just say somehow the Kings pull out the back to back. I wish that they they face Boston and it would be streak versus streak, but they lost against the Bulls today, so it won't be streak versus streak. There is still a hope though. That the Kings are, are going to be undefeated going into the Boston game. Well, maybe as long as they play as hard as they did throughout the six games, there's I mean there's no doubt they they would. Well, we'll see, but yeah. Uh, so it, Grizzlies are likely without Jaw and Desmond Bain. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, the Grizzlies are a really really good team, and like they have an identity. And they're not gonna they're not gonna lay down. And it's on the road, so they're definitely gonna have their home crowd behind them. And you know it's gonna be a tough game. Like don't underestimate you know the not the heart of a champion, but let's not don't underestimate the the heart of grit and grind because that that is very much still alive in that team. Mm -hmm. Hey, never know. Maybe Dylan will shoot forty field goals this game. Look, Dylan Brooks loves playing the Kings. Those That's shots true. that he misses against every single other team he makes when he's playing the Kings. So, like, this is one of those kinds of games where he can 100% go off. But 
Like, honestly, I'll be happy with it. You know what? If you can just let, you know, let him shoot every single shot that he wants and just shut down everyone else, I'm happy with that. Yeah, that's true. I mean, and I'm pretty I, sure he'll be happy with that, too. I feel like now our defense should be able to contain him. I mean, just throw Davion on him and that, that should be, we call it well, good. Th- well, this is the problem. Davion played 14 minutes last game. Hmm. That that's the problem. I, you can probably like stick Terrence Davis on him for a bit too. Like you, you have options. And De'Aaron, look, look. If you want to turn up your defense and prove a point, this is the time. So you know, I don't know. You got to. You're gonna have to play defense against this team. They're not gonna like lay down for you. And again, they're a, they're a good team. They have a system and they know how to run it. Oh yeah. So and then Atlanta, Atlanta surprisingly. Last in three point makes per game, despite having Trey Young on your team. That's really mm. weird. But they have Trey Young, so they still do have Trey Young. So, like, they could go off at any point. And, you know, second night of a back to back, you never know what shape the Kings are going to be in. So, that could go sideways really easily. But I have somewhat of a confidence that these are both going to be 50 50 games. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, we shall see. Kevin Hart has returned to Atlanta. Oh, yeah. In a, in my opinion, a way better uh, system than what uh, his usage was. Yeah, like, man, you know, he's 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 the type of guy to kind of, I feel like, to hold a grudge a little bit. I know he's a quiet guy for the most part. I think he's going to have a big game. Oh, yeah, I, I could see that for sure. And then Boston is just, they're a monster. So I, I that is like a 25% chance of winning in Boston. Hey, maybe the Kings can prove us wrong. You know what? Maybe they can. I'm like they played down to their competition for the last two games. Now, granted, they won San Antonio going away, but like they could have they should have closed these games out easily, and they didn't. Kings get up for certain games. Now, whether they win it or not is a totally different thing, but they will get up for these games, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay, in King's news, um, after just beyond the game, uh, so Harrison Barnes, it came out in a Shams report. It might have been in Mark Stein's as well. But apparently other teams have been in conversations, or they have inquired about Barnes. Specifically, teams like the Suns have called about trading for Harrison Barnes for, you know, their, their kind of delink not delinquent but like absent uh pl- um player jay crowder basically it's going to be a, a package centered around him but ham james ham just came back with a report of his own according to a league source from him uh kings are not in conversations at all about trading bards for fear that it might disrupt the chemistry of the team so my question to you is do you would you want to hear it about any trades for Harrison Barnes, or are you just good with what we got right now? I would say we're pretty much fine with what we got now. If it's a pretty good package, maybe. But for now, I think we're fine. Let's just say, let's just do a hypothetical. I'm not saying this will happen. Let's just say we get Jay Crowder and uh, Landry Shannon, for example, mm. for, for some reason. Like, would you do that package knowing that Barnes is going to be gone by the end of the season? Uh, that's tough. 
I'm not too, uh, to be honest, I don't really want Jay Crowder, <laughs> in my opinion. I like Jay Crowder for the most part. Like, he, like uh, he's not great on the court, <laughs> by any means. He's a winner, though. He is a legit winner. And, you know, he'll bring a level of dog that you, like, Harrison's a great leader, but he's not that dog. Like, he's not a Patrick Beverly type, the kind that just pisses people off. Mm-hmm. Like you, you kind of have Malik Monk for that, but if you add Jay Crowder to that, this is all of a sudden a very kind of aggressive team, if you will. Um, so I, I, I like Jay Crowder for what he can do for this team. I don't know if he's still good, but you know, it's a theoretical. Yeah, could be, but uh, I would say it, it would, kind of, yeah, like you said, it might hinder the performance. Uh, for maybe I want to say two weeks uh, to, to you know get accustomed to uh, our kind of offense, but other than that, uh, I would say I would keep Barnes for now. Um, actually, how much longer is his contract this year? This year, that's yeah, that's tough. I don't know same, how same much. Same thing with Jay Crowder, by the way. He he only has one year left. Uh, I don't know how much we're gonna re-sign Barnes though. So about that, um, apparently the Kings are in talks with his people like constantly. Oh. So, you know, maybe an extension comes. Well, hope is an extension because, like, you know, even if Barnes continues to decline, like again, he he is a stabilizing force for this team. Like he has incredible leadership. Like his effect on the team. Like it's not obvious, but there is. It's a lot. Like if you watch old clips of De'Aaron, there's a level of recklessness he used to play with. But yeah. ever since he came with Barnes, and I know some people have complained about De'Aaron not dunking enough. Now, granted, beautiful, incredible Tomahawk dunk um, last night. But, like, you know, he's basically taught, like, passed on a lot of his tricks. Like, the, in, the immensely slow two-step that he does. Like, De'Aaron has his own version of it, where, you know, he extends his steps and uses body to shield the ball. Like, De'Aaron being one of the best finishers in the league... Like, you know, all the credit in the world for him to, to work to become that, but he definitely got some of that from Barnes as well. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. So, and also, I would love for Keegan Murray to just become Harrison 2.0 and just learn the two-step. <laughs> Maybe eventually. You got to pass down the two-step to him. Yeah, once he uh, is able to, you know, actually drive in a post, maybe. Uh, this is also just very interesting. Since the streak, he's been shooting 61% from the field, 41% from three, uh, to bring his uh, three-point average to 26%. Because okay. he had been shooting 16% the first nine games. Also, uh, interestingly enough, only three turnovers during the streak in six games. Really, huh? I mean, he doesn't really have the ball in his hand that much. And, you know, he is pretty good at, you know, uh, keeping the ball safe from other defenders he doesn't force much and like he's not a he's a very very smart player like people don't talk about that enough he knows how to protect the ball mm-hmm. like, and never now granted i want him to do a little bit more because he's a lot better <laughs> because he's he's really good he should try and force it a little bit more but i'm not going to complain like you have other guys on the team to do that now oh yeah. last year was really frustrating just because like him and tyrese i wanted them to do more mm-hmm. because they were so good but you know what? The fourth option on the team, like that's perfect rule for him. Oh yeah. Uh, however, in the same report from James Ham, Rashawn Holmes is very much available to other teams, and it's unfortunate. 
but yeah, like this, it's it's hard to find a role on this team for him. Yes, I mean, sadly enough, I mean, he well, one, he doesn't get that many minutes at all, and two, when he is out there, he's not the same without if we had Tyrese now. We always said that it could work with our offense uh, to, you know, kind of mirror how Tyrese did with him. But I mean, it's kind of at this point, there's a way for him to work on this team, like playing the way we are. Just literally just have him do like, look what Metsu is doing. Just do what he does. Mm-hmm. literally and also like Rashad's not going to shoot any threes i know he made one in the in the brooklyn game that's a blowout <laughs> that doesn't count yeah. but like just do what Metsu is doing screen roll and just you know when you get the ball in your spot maybe do one dribble and try not to get stripped and you know just make stuff happen like it's it, there is a way for him to work on this team but he probably is better off like a, in a pick and roll team and like i i would still would you still advocate like to just keep him on the team if like let's just say you can't really get anything for him um i guess like how many more years three more two more two more years two more although i think the wait so got these so one so that was the first year so this is second year so he's got two more years but the last year is a player option yeah, I mean, if we're going to keep him, I, I'm going to feel bad if he's going to be sitting on the bench for majority of every game throughout the whole season. I mean, I'd rather have him, you know, play in a different team and hopefully we get something back. And I don't really know what his value is in terms of what we're going to get back. So that's the tricky part. Like, you know, you hate to boil a player down to just his value, but like his value is tricky. You Like, I think... I think people around the league kind of generally know, like, you know, he can be a really good pick and roll guy. Like, you know, weirdly enough, like had the Hornets not made that stupid trade for Plumley, they probably would have had him for by now, but yeah. like he will work well with LaMelo. Like, he'd be great with LaMelo actually. Mm-hmm. And you know, that was probably like his, his best role, but I can see a role for him on this team and like, you know, knock on wood, I'm not trying to say anything, but like, when injury when injuries do you know get the team like say Metsu is out for like two weeks Rashawn Holmes I think slots right in like you might need that depth at some point during the season yeah I would now of course if he's if he's like straight up demanding a trade yeah you can probably get rid of him but I don't want to trade him for like two second round picks or something like that yeah I mean so far no like negativity uh in terms of within the team he seems to be in good spirits. Like, you know, I'll mention this right now, but like, you know, Marvin and De'Aaron had like an extended hug and extended conversation after. So it's good to see just everyone is still in good spirits. And like Rashad dapped up uh, Marvin too. Like, you know, like ultimately, like they can tune out the noise and, you know, everyone's, all the players still love each other. And, you know, good on Marvin for not, you know, alienating his teammates, even though he kind of did. Uh, yeah. I mean, I- as always, I mean, players that left this organization is probably more upset of the organization than the players itself. Yeah, and even the fans. Like, I know there's some, like, level of disdain maybe that um, Marvin has for the t- for the fans, but, like, I think ultimately, like, he was just unhappy with the situation, and it's mostly because of the organization, so. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I, I'm actually an advocate for keeping Holmes because, like, I think he can be good, 
he just needs to find that opportunity. And who knows? Like he, like again, injuries do happen. And like to be to be on the safe side, if if the if the offer is like you know some throw in some salary throw in and like a second round pick, I'm not doing that. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. All right. No. So that's it for oh the very. It's been a very long basketball section. Um. So, anyways, uh, well, let's let's talk about something else really quickly then. Uh. So 49ers destroy the Cardinals. Uh. So first thoughts. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there are uh, the Cardinals are without Kyler Murray because of hamstring issues. So uh, they're without their. I mean, the Cardinals are without their quarterback, but they had uh, pretty much everyone else. Um, backup quarterback didn't do too well from last time I saw the bot score, but uh, definitely the Niners. Man, two touchdowns from Kittle. Uh, for um four uh, what you call receptions, I believe, and four, did I say two or four touchdowns from Kittle? Um, uh, okay, sorry, I wasn't really listening. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's two touchdowns from Kittle, two, but two touchdowns. four touchdown passes from Jimmy G. So that's pretty impressive. Not gonna lie, it was, I want to say, uh, like close to 250 yards if i remember correctly i I forgot uh, to look at the yardage but so far jimmy g has played his role and (laughs) by playing his role i mean i had not seen too many bad plays from him uh no interceptions and uh i mean yeah i mean so far we're uh winning so I'm reading something on the SF Chronicle on Twitter, and the headline is basically saying San Francisco 49ers to absolutely destroying the Cardinals in front of Mexico City. Show just how good they are, and or sh- just show how good they can be when they get everyone involved. The rest of the NFL should take notice. Do you agree with that? Mm, I see. Well, I mean, they utilize almost everyone in their uh, offensive arsenal, really, like from Debo to Christian to a little of Elijah Elijah Mitchell, which uh, he didn't really play much in the um, beginning parts of the game until the end, which, you know, by that time it was a blowout. Um, I mean, they have Kittle. They have just so many guys that can, like, create <laughs> and uh, like it's just ridiculous how i want to say deep our uh, offense can be uh in terms of defense when uh, we said that the niners uh were were, were supposedly the best defense it's kind of hard to say now <laughs> it's kind of uh, a little dwindling uh from my dots but i mean it's still good for sure Last week they got dismantled by the, or they beat. Was it the Rams or was it the uh, what's it the the uh, Kansas City game? Kansas City happened a few weeks. No, last week was a bye game. Oh, so oh yeah, so they didn't play. So before that was that the Rams? I think. I'm sorry. No, no, no. no. I'm I'm mixing up my weeks. Um, last week was the Chargers, and the week mm. prior to that is the bye week. Okay. I mean, you know, so I, look, I, I don't know enough football to really add any insight. 
I'll just say maybe sometimes like, you know, your defense isn't there and you hope that your offense can kind of bail you out a little bit. And I guess for now, at least, um, you know, their offense is running while their defense is, you know, taking a bit of a step, but you know, it will regress to the mean, maybe. I don't know yeah. how, I don't know how football works. So. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll see. We shall Does see. Debo play? Oh yeah, he did. Oh, definitely he did. Yeah, I haven't. Of course, it just happened. So, and of course, obviously, I did not watch it. So, I don't know. It feels like he's been injured a lot. So, uh, not really this season. It's just he wasn't utilized as much because, like I said, we have a pretty deep offense now. But he uh, definitely did really well this game. Um, I think, yeah, he had a rushing touchdown uh seven receptions 57 yards and three rush attempts for 37 yards so yeah he he produced okay um, just wanted to make sure for some reason like i kept like i haven't heard anything about him so i was just like what's happened with debo debo i mean debo's a monster so i mean a lot of people are focusing on christian mccaffrey which i mean he's a stud of him for himself uh but under shanahan's um offense you know we kind of want to conserve him a little because, you know, injuries are plagued for uh, the Niners. And we don't want that, you know, towards the later half of the season onto going uh, hopefully to the playoffs. Uh, look, I don't know if this is the case in like football, but like whenever I hear you have to rest the player for, so that they could play in the playoffs, it usually means that player is done. E, pretty much. But like I said, because well, sorry, but like think think about it. Like Mike Conley, never healthy for the playoffs, even though they rest them the entire season. Kawhi, if you actually forget, actually actually got injured during the the series against the Warriors when he was in the on the Raptors. It just so happened everyone else got injured on the Warriors, which is why they won. Mm-hmm. But like once you get to that point, it's it's not good. Like when you have to rest a player, because like I don't know if there's any proof for this. If you don't play enough games, your body just isn't used to that level of just pressure and just that level of workload when you're in the playoffs. Yeah, I understand what you mean. But with how the Niners are playing Christian McCaffrey, he still gets play. It's just that, you know, there's so many different schemes in the offense that you could create for him that um is set for McCaffrey that you, I mean, uh, how would I say this? That you know, I guess our backup Elijah Mitchell can do instead, because he 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 also came back from like I don't even know how many week long injury. So <laughs> I'd rather you. I mean, you gotta put your priority somewhere. I guess you could say. I guess uh, and football. 16 games so like it's, it's not as much many games like a seven game series is a lot of games like mm. and, you know and like throughout an entire playoffs it's a lot of fucking games and you know you know you, you you don't play as much in football obviously so maybe you can survive that but like whenever i hear you just have to rest the player and you know sure you can like get the young guy the the young guy a little more time to you know develop him down the road but usually when i hear you gotta you gotta rest the player for the playoffs usually not a good thing yeah, I mean, sadly enough, with Christian McCaffrey and uh, Elijah Mitchell, the running back um, position is the most prone to get injuries. And also, 
like uh, you see a lot of um, running backs that retire early because of that. Because, I mean, it's it's a very tough position. I see. Yep, still learning about football. I'll, I'll get these things. I'll get like more in tune with these things as time goes on. But, you know, congratulations to the Niners for absolutely destroying the Cardinals. Mm, oh, yeah. All right, let's finally get to the part that maybe some of the audience came to listen for, and it comes at the very end of almost two hours. So, okay. <laughs> All right. Game of Thrones, you have told me that you have finished season three and you have started on season four and you have got past episode two. Now, oh, for, the, yeah. now for those of you that have a good memory, two very big events happen in that span of time at the end of season three and the beginning of season two. Let's talk yeah. about them. Let's talk about the first event. The... Let's talk about the reigns of Castmere. Yeah, the Red Wedding. Man, I remember watching a clip way back when about the Red Wedding. Now, th- at the time... As, I as you can tell from a Fawn's clock, it is a very happy occasion. <laughs> Jeez, I am surprised you could hear that clock. I should mute myself whenever that happens, but... Um, yeah, I remember watching a clip way back when uh, about the Red Wedding because it was such a big thing at the time. And I didn't, you know, recognize the faces at all because it, it, it's it been quite a while since, you know, that episode was aired and when I watched that clip. But when I saw, well, it didn't click for me until I saw um, the guy start stabbing. Um, I already forgot her name. Rob's wife. I, I don't remember her name either. I should, but I don't remember. Yeah. Her name. And when I saw that, I was like, oh no, this is this is it. This is the clip that I remember so vaguely. But the how much uh, disgust just uh, I was like, oh no. Yeah. It, it, it's like you can't even say words about how terrible this um which I got scene was for you know Game of Thrones fans in a good way. Now, not it's not a terrible scene. It's a very very well shot scene. Isn't it? Yeah. Incredible scene. Just yeah. I unfortunately did not have that. I guess luck with that. I I knew it was coming because of an old what culture video. Like I watch, and I just remember that they set the name of the episode, and this is very specific. In the What Culture video, they say the name of the of the episode, which is The Reigns of Casimir. Now, mm. every single episode leading up to that is one word and I think only one or two syllables. So I knew the episode was coming. And when it saw said Reigns of Casimir, I knew that was the episode. Also, before that, for, for whatever reason, I don't know what it was, the scene where Rob has sex with the lady... For some reason, she makes a face that for somehow triggered my memory, and it was the face she makes when she dies. I don't know what triggered that memory, but okay. and which episode that was. It was a few episodes before that, and I was like, that is the lady from the Red Wedding. Oh, shit, it's coming. So I, I, I knew it was coming, and no, I couldn't sleep after that. I, I, I really wish I could have had that feeling of watching this when it came out, because Fuck, that was just an incredible scene. Yeah, it was, oh man, it was Jesus. Like, killing off pretty much uh, three. three th- yeah, yeah, basically three really important characters, yes. 
Yeah, and with Arya almost getting into that mix as well, I mean, I was like, oh, gosh, she she lost her father, now her mother, and Elda's brother, like... Uh, the mother could go. The mother could go. I, did I, mean, not, I did not enjoy Cat like that. Let uh, let my son go, and that is totally going to work. No, <laughs> no. What are you trying to do? I, it. I don't know what shot me more. No, I mean, it, I kind of knew it was coming, but the shock of you know the wife getting stabbed in the stomach multiple times—that's just disrespectful. And then the final scene of just Catelyn starts standing there, just <sighs> defenseless, can't do anything. She knows that this is the end. Just slices the throat from some guy. I was like, oh, God. Dear goodness. It's, it's just such a <sighs> terrible scene. <laughs> It, it is it is truly one of the most brutal scenes that like it, you know knowing that it comes you know I paid attention to all the foreshadowing like you know they the the scene right before is like oh party's already over like that someone said to Arya the party's yeah. already over you can't go in yeah. and then there's you know like was it I think it's Roose Bolton right yeah Roose Bolton was like you know he meets with Jamie and at that point that was a red flag why is he here all of a sudden mm. with the with the Starks. And then, you know, the foreshadow, like, the talk about the foreshadow. In the What Culture video, they mention how once, I think it's the fish, I forgot the, the guy that's actually getting married. Once he leaves, like, you know, during the wedding, there's like this happy dance music. You know, everyone's just kind of chilling. Everyone's eating. They're, you know, having a feast. And then as soon as he leaves the room, the doors close and the mood and the music change. And you see Catelyn starting to smell something a little funny. The foreshadowing is incredible in this scene. Yeah. Really all around brilliance, perfect setup. The big, probably one of the biggest twists in like TV show history. Yeah. I, yeah, (laughs) I was very surprised about that. And for just to, uh, (laughs) whatchamacallit, just a memory popped up in my head of uh, remembering of uh, the recreation of the scene from uh, Game of Zones too. <laughs> Have you watched that episode? Is, is that the LeBron one where yeah. like you know everyone says they're going to beat LeBron and then it turns out to be the Red Wedding essentially? I forgot who it was that like was it was the, final the one. Raptors. It was the Raptors. Yeah, the Raptors were having like a feast with um, the Cavaliers, and it was uh, in reference of. Um, the game, I forgot which, uh, what you would call it. Um, was it Lebronto? It must be, yeah. Where they said they choked, <laughs> pretty much. Game one, game one, and game two of Cavs versus Raptors 2018 was genuinely. If you were a Raptors fan, you your soul left left the earth that day, and you know, of course, it came back to Earth when you know Kawhi. When you guys got Kawhi, but. I cannot imagine the heart-wrenching feeling it was to get swept by the by that version of the Cavaliers. Oh yeah. <laughs> you might as well have been at the Red Wedding. I think being at the Red Wedding would have been actually more pleasant than being a Raptors fan at that point. It was that bad being a Raptors fan. 
Yeah, that pretty good reference, I'd say. Uh, that um, what your cop Witcher report did. Yeah, it was alright. Oh no, that that series of just them. Maybe it came out in twenty eighteen. If that came out in twenty eighteen, man, that must have hurt. Like Raptors fans, I applaud you if you somehow watched it. Because <laughs> oh. I again, that series was heart wrenching. If you were a Raptors <laughs> fan. Oh yeah, hilarious! If you were cheering, hilarious if you were watching from the Cavs fans, because my God, the way again, the the way that LeBron owned Toronto like before that, my God. <laughs> well, let's move on because talking about the red wedding is just saddening me even more. Let's talk about something good, which is uh Joffrey's death finally, and that kind of caught me off guard as well because I mean I remember. Joffrey dying I just forgot how and just him choking just puts a smile on my face <laughs> yeah again I had the opposite thing like not to not to be like the the king of smartasses I knew the episode was coming because I had actually watched the episode way before like oh. I wasn't a, I wasn't a, a Game of Thrones fan at that point but I remember very vividly season four episode two that is when Joffrey dies and it's so weird because it's at the beginning of a season like, you know, if you're, again, if I was watching, I never would have expected it. But again, since I knew it was coming, the foreshadowing of it, I guess, just him reaching like peak, you know, cunt, cuntiness, absolute, mm-hmm. just the biggest fucking prick on planet Earth. Just, and then all of a sudden it just crescendos with him choking to death. It, it was, it was like, it really came out of nowhere. It really did. Yeah, I, at first I was like, oh, someone's just going to do like the, whatchamacallit, just going to push something out of his stomach or something. But no, it, it was something, something he drank or ate that was poisoned. And still, I mean, we still don't know who did it according oh, wait, from where I'm, you know, standing at in terms of what episode I'm on. But uh, yeah, I mean, geez, Joffrey and the Queen, and I'm starting to say... Um, uh, their father Tywin, all cunts. All cunts. Although Tywin is awesome, like yeah, that, he is, is. that is a that is a gangster. He's, that is a that's a man you respect. He he's borderline. <laughs> he he's borderline, but definitely the queen, um, Joffrey is pretty up there. Uh, Jamie, I would say is I'm gonna say kind of in the borderline too, below Tywin for now. Um, because I mean, he he had a pretty rough, uh, you know. <laughs> he can't wipe his own ass anymore. I I know one handed, golden uh, what you might call fake arm or fake hand, only can use his left to sword fight. But uh, yeah, we'll see how that progression goes. Uh, I'm wondering if there's gonna be something with Brienne in uh, that mix. Uh. Who else is also a Lannister? Oh, yeah, Tyrion gets the, all the blame. Yep, and, he's about to marry Sam. Oh no, he's already married Sansa at this point. He huh? he has, and it's pretty disgusting too. I I mean, like, it's at least he's not like at least it didn't fuck her um, you mm. know, on the wedding night. I, I yeah. guess that's a good thing. I mean, he passed out, and he, I didn't yeah. get the wooden cock insult, by the way. Like maybe it's a traditional thing, like what he said to Joffrey during the wedding. I don't, I didn't know what that insult was. 
I I forgot, but apparently it was supposed to be uh, <laughs> insulting. Uh, what was about to say? Ah, uh, shoot. It was something about um, Jamie, but uh, I forgot now. Um, Joffrey insulting Jamie before he died. Oh, gosh. Why? Again, peak cuntness. Like, it just it gets worse and worse throughout the episode. And again, it just crescendos beautifully, climaxes beautifully. I just wonder how many people regret having him as king, especially between the Lannisters. I don't think any of them really regret it. Like, look, Cersei is an awful mother. Like, yeah. there's no debate about that. She just loves her children. Like, we'll just kind of deal with whatever. And it's, again, it's a sign of an awful, awful mother. <laughs> and the rest of them just kind of put up with this bullshit because, like, they don't want to piss off the king. And you know, Marjorie, Marjorie is a very, <laughs> is a very interesting character. Like, that is a that is a lady that just understands how to play the game. Oh yeah, he's she's playing the game well, and I'm one. I'm, I have a feeling that. It's something about her that, uh, you know, helped poison the king, but we'll see. Yeah, she she is a she is a fun she is a fun character uh, to, to deal with. And uh, yeah, um, what do you think of the old lady? Do you like the old lady? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Her, her uh, grandmother, right? That, the grandmother. Oh, yeah. She's a G. That is a that is every judgmental ass grandmother, but just incredibly silver tongue. Just oh, yeah. you do not you do not want to approach her if you're not if you have you know low self-esteem. She will eat you. And you can't no. do anything against her because she's old. Fuck you, what are you gonna do? Kill her? It looks stupid. <laughs> Pretty much, but yeah, I was kind of afraid at some point. So I someone's <laughs> gonna turn uh I guess whatchamacallit honor or something. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, this is probably one of the better, one of the best seasons. So you're you're in for a lot, and yeah, again, it it keeps it'll just keep kind of getting better, and everything just gets more interesting going forward. And yeah, you stopped at episode two, right? Yeah, I haven't started three yet. Okay, yeah, th- yeah, three. It, it gets a lot more interesting. Okay, because right now, let's see who else is still out there. Dion. Dear God. Oh, that yeah. stuff. How, how do you enjoy Ramsey? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh. This, oh. I'm like, oh, no. Just straight up, cut off, just straight up cut off his dick. Like, it's, I don't know what, I didn't know what to say when that happened. Yeah, they didn't show it, but I mean, he, he, like, Dion was just, like, his mind was just gone. So that was like a weird scene because I was so conflicted because like, you know, up to that point, you hate Dion. He's this fake, fake tough guy with, a, you know, a bit of like a, you know, like, I guess an inferiority complex and he has to prove himself. So he takes over Winterfell and then he's being stupid. Now he's getting captured and tortured. And I'm like, am I supposed to feel bad for him? Because I kind of don't because he was being an asshole before that. Like, it, it was like really mixed emotions for a while for me. Yeah. Dion. We'll see about that. Um, Enjoy Ramsey. Yeah, for now, in terms of the other stories, nothing has happened much, in my opinion. I don't know about you, but so far, um, King Joffrey dying and, you know, the king in the north 
dying alongside with her mother and wife is just brutal enough uh throughout you know just the start of the season too yeah i mean like again it it opens up like a you know it opens up a whole another level it you're going into the next chapter essentially i know it's weird like you know just start a new season but it really opens up Mm -hmm. oh yeah i hope so so yeah, you you have now seen the Red Wedding, and you have seen the death of Joffrey, and yeah, you have finally experienced some of the best some of the best parts of Game of Thrones. Well, can't wait to watch another episode. Maybe hopefully over the weekend because I don't think I'll be watching it today. It's already ten fifteen. <laughs> yeah, we've been recording for about two hours now, so it'll be fun to see how long this episode is. But yeah, it was a very fun experience going to the game. We saw the beam. And also, it's the first game I've been at since 2019 that we've actually won. Yeah, regular not, season, not, by the not way. Count, not counting the Lakers win, uh, the yeah. preseason. That was the other win. But first regular season game that we've that I've seen, like, there are some games we didn't go together. So, you know, like, yeah, first win I've been to in four years. And yeah, most importantly... We saw the beam. Oh yeah, I would the say beam. the yeah, I would want to say the same in terms of uh, <laughs> the first win in a while as well. But yeah, that beam, my gosh, you could see it pretty pretty far. Like we were, I want to say, uh, kind of in the east side of downtown or midtown, however you call it. We we're decently far from the arena. You could still see the beam like shining like. Almost, almost infinitely into the sky. Yeah, and you know, like in person, it's it's a lot more it's a lot more incredible. I'll just say, like the camera does not do it justice. For those of you that have some form of means to come to Sacramento, of course, Sacramento, not a glamour city. There, it's not LA. It's not Chicago. It's not New York. It's a decent enough city. But if you ever do want to come visit Sacramento to see the beam. I would say it's worth it. It's an incredible, it's a pretty incredible sight. Oh, yeah. Just uh, hope we win that game. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if they're going to like the beam if we beat the Grizzlies or the Hawks or the or Boston. Oh, oh yeah, they will. I, I wonder if they'll even broadcast <laughs> if, uh, what do you want to call it, if it was a away game too. But yeah, like the beam, it, it's it's a goofy thing but it's harmless. It's fun. It's really, it's become an incredible marketing thing. There are so many marketing responsibilities that, you know, the Kings need to take advantage of, but yeah, it's become one of the best gimmicks in the NBA. And it, it's an incredible thing at the perfect time when the Kings are actually racking up wins. Oh yeah. Can't wait to uh, see if uh, the King store creates a shirt or something. Yeah. I mean, again, all the marketing opportunities in the world, right? Now, oh, so yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that is uh, all I have on my doc that I want to talk about. Do you have anything else? I don't think so. It's already pretty. It's, yeah, it's going to be two and a half, probably, in my opinion. Yeah, probably around two hours. It's, you know. Maybe. Yeah. A anyways, well, if you don't have anything else, I am going to officially call this an episode. Thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you guys back on the next game probably after the hawks game because it's a back-to-back -back. yeah well we'll see you guys later